there's been a lot of controversy this week about a certain film podcast. One of its hosts, cyberbullying one of our friends in the posting union, local 69420 film Twitter. And we'd just like to mm-hmm. say that we stand. It's, we're, we're like a week late on this because our last episode came out, I believe, the day before. But we stand strong in solidarity with Sean and uh, Griffin Newman. Eat my fucking shorts. Yeah, how dare you disrespect Woody like that, besmirching his name after <laughs> after working with him in confidence. You know, that's kind of a, that's an unprofessional move, and that won't get you very far in the industry. Yeah, I just want to take this moment now to say any rumors that may be coming out about me being in in a new Polanski film <laughs> are definitely that's not that's not true. I just want to get out in front of that and say it's not happening. Look, you might come across an article. <laughs> That says, you know, unfinished D.W. Griffith film is being assembled and there's some reshoots. <laughs> and that a certain young, enterprising podcaster is the star of said reshoots. <laughs> but all I'm telling you is that it would have made my parents proud. <laughs> so how could I say no? Um, I just want to get it out in the open. I did do, uh, I was second AC on Lini Reifenstahl's 2002 documentary <laughs> where she goes deep sea diving. I don't know what it's called, but she was a hundred years old. She needed help on set. And I don't think it would have gotten made if everyone you know pitched in and put their best foot forward. So I honestly, I don't have any regrets about that. Well, with that being said, let's dive right into it. <laughs> Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 12. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, our double feature consists of Elephant, 2003 Gus Van Sant film, and The Love Guru, a 2008 film by Marco Schnabel. So this double feature comes to us because, uh, you know, Elephant is called Elephant, and uh, I was thinking about the movie The Love Guru, and the only thing I remembered about that movie is a joke uh, about jacking off an elephant, and I said, hey, these two probably go together. I don't know what this elephant movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I had seen Elephant before. It's a, it's a very loose connection, I know. It's one of these stupid non-connection joke double features, but hey, it works. Yeah. Oh, Uncle Jack, can I get a hand getting off this elephant? Darren, if your Uncle Jack helped you off an elephant, would you help your Uncle Jack off an elephant? (laughs) (laughs) So these are two films really just about the important issues. Yeah. Just about what's troubling America, you know. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people have like relational issues. They're having, you know, trouble showing intimacy, you know, to their partners. And then, um, (laughs) you know, there's also been... Uh, you know, shootings at schools, and that's really unfortunate. You hear about these things? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I really do like the simplicity of the pairing, though. Like, we need more just one words, elephant. Like, yeah. that's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a good tie. Mm-hmm. Both both under ninety minutes too. Both short watches. Maybe that's what's linking them. That is true. Both are very brisk movies but both very slow in their own way to mm-hmm. elephant and its style more so you know gus van sant is taking things from people like bellatar and like the the slow cinema movement kind of and using these slow steady cam shots and naturalistic acting and even though it's only 80 something minutes it feels you know like you're in that world for a longer time and the love guru 
is just like a, a really terrible piece of shit and like you just feel every second of it and it yeah. feels like it's three hours long yeah it's love guru is so jam-packed with jokes and most of them do not hit in fact i think i've tried counting the times i've laughed i think it was like one and a half you know it's so many jokes, so many misses. And there are so many like bullshit ass, like woke comedians that were in this <laughs> sure. racist ass film. Yeah. Like Colbert, John Oliver, mm-hmm. like Jim Gaffigan. Have, yeah, Jim Gaffigan. No, I don't know if <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> <laughs> we have the receipts. For being woke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're my enemy forever now. <laughs> but to get right into our first feature, Elephant, it look. For the listener, we, we kind of keep a light tone on this show. And so sometimes it's hard to approach material like this that is so pressing because, you know, we've become so desensitized to these terrible, terrible, terrible things. Like, if you don't know, Elephant is a movie uh, about a school shooting, the day at school leading up to it and the shooting itself. Uh, I know Mike D'Angelo, among other critics, were like disgusted by it and they were just outraged because... You know, Columbine was still fresh in their mind, but now there's been all of these mass shootings, so many of them taking place at schools that were more desensitized to it. And I think it's like easier to just evaluate this as like an aesthetic object mm-hmm. uh, and like as a political object, too. And yeah, um, I don't want to dive too ahead, but this movie does kind of come very early in the era of school shootings and whatnot. And I think what uh, I feel like it, it's kind of almost politically confused mm-hmm. in what it's trying to say. I think it throws pretty much everything at the wall. Yeah. But, I, you know, I still liked it a lot. It's not, you know, a heavy criticism of it. Uh, I'm not sure if you folks are familiar, but, uh, like, I think the main inspiration for this was Alan Clark's Elephant. Mm-hmm. Have either of you uh, I have not seen, seen that. I've only read about it in relation to this film. Yeah. I um I saw it, like, two years ago, like, in class, and that, that is really good. Like, Alan Clark's Elephant is just, like, a series of, like, it was in the 80s, uh, uh, like, a TV movie about like IRA related like killings and it's just like just I mean it's shot in like pretty much exactly the same style as mm-hmm. Elephant and it like has that same just sort of like no explanation it the scenes are have no explanation and just sort of show this senseless violence in like a nakedly honest way that I feel like Elephant does mm-hmm. I mean they're both the same film but they're doing the same things pretty well yeah I'm a big I like to scum that I gave the promo to on an earlier episode, so I might have to check Elephant out. Yeah, I, I definitely owe it to myself to check out Elephant and other Alan Clark and other Gus Van Sant after this one because I gotta say this was kind of a uh, this was kind of a revelatory rewatch for me. I thought it was a great film the first time I watched it, but I had a little bit of a distance from it because I guess you could say this current wave of school shootings kind of started around the time that I watched this movie for the first time. So it was still very fresh to me, you know. Uh, I think I watched it before Parkland, but, you know. So I maybe was a little emotional about how it approached certain things and thought it was a little irresponsible, a little, but still just like an insane aesthetic object. And now looking back on it, it just makes more sense to me now. I don't know. Uh, The aestheticization of these like disgusting acts is really apt because every single image here is treated just like it's the last image of each character's life pretty much it's so precious in every way harris savitis shot this film and 
you know, he's a legend for other stuff. Sofia Coppola films like The Bling Ring, I think, are very, uh, you know, among the best cinematography in American cinema of the century. But this one really just, every frame of this feels really precious in a way that I might really dislike in other films. But in its relation to these characters living their last day unsuspectingly, uh, I think it really works wonders. Not to get into my overall assessment <laughs> of the film before we even talk about what happens, but... No, I mean, I feel like I definitely enjoyed this like a, a little bit less than you. Um, I liked it more than... I. This is the third time I've seen it. Like oh, okay. I watched it once, um, probably in like high school, and then again for like a screenwriting class, um, they showed it to us. Um, and uh, like, I, I liked it both times, but like, I don't know, this time I feel like I definitely came around to it and like kind of to what something you were speaking to, you had mentioned Malcolm as well, was that like politically it's like kind of a mess at mm-hmm. points, but I feel like given the nature of the issue, it's like hard for something to like, I don't know, try and broach a subject mm-hmm. like this without being like a little bit messy in like what exactly it's trying to say. The messiness of like the political factor of it, you know, it almost, I don't know. It's, I kind of respect it in a way. Cause it's like, it's not Van Sant saying like, this is the reason why this happened. He doesn't really give an ultimate reasons. It's all, it's everything, which I could kind of agree with to a certain extent. I think it's more, not yeah. even that he's saying everything is to blame. I think yeah. the film really represents what the really shook up American psyche was thinking, which is just mm-hmm. like, what could it be? It's just yeah. searching for reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to watch this film in that way, which I think is kind of a closed off way to view this film is like viewing the first hour as like a detective story, kind of <laughs> yeah. seeing what the motive was. No, you know, it, that's not what this film is trying to do, really. Uh, when it shows the two shooters, their scenes at home, you know, that is kind of treated equal to the other kids. It's just how their last day is going to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And these kids, you know, it could be anything this film posits. You know, it could be the violent video games. It's probably not. Mm -hmm. It could be that he watched a Hitler documentary. Probably not. Maybe. A lot of kids watch Hitler documentaries, though. I don't know. Uh, that one I can't Not speak me. to as assuredly <laughs> as haven't seen games. one <laughs> as a gamer who doesn't watch documentaries no I don't know anything about this Hitler guy <laughs> but yeah it's just kind of throwing everything at the wall mm-hmm. even homosexuality which I think people will use like as a thing to beat this movie down with mm-hmm. uh, that it kind of victimized or I don't know if victimizes is the right word it kind of looks down you could make the case that it looks down upon it like that repressed homosexuality mm-hmm. is why they did it sure but i think that's just i don't know mm-hmm. i think it's more confused sexuality yeah. that's how that's how i interpret it at least yeah exactly well i mean the brief amount of van sant that i have seen i think like i really like his approach to sexuality like mm-hmm. that because it is sort of that like weirdly repressed but like it's it's very uncomfortable like i mm-hmm. saw um Malinoche, um, at the new Bev a few months back and that is really interesting and in how it handles that and that's another thing where it's like messy but I feel like it deserves to be mm-hmm. so to get into what elephant is like the text of the film we start opening credits over a telephone pole and you get this time lapse the sky is just beautiful Harris Savidi's really gets some really expressionistic shots of the sky and telephone poles in this Mm -hmm. film this being one of them and i think that's a really important image of 
the kind of suburban mindset that we're opening. You know, these are the kids who will sit in a car and stare at a telephone pull whether or not they're smoking weed for hours on end, you know, <laughs> because they're just chilling with their friends. They're in the suburbs. These kids don't necessarily seem to have jobs. They might be a little more content with their situation than other mm-hmm. kids, you know, uh, so they're able to just chill. I mean, there's a lot of chilling yeah. in like the film. Yeah, like, exactly. That's yeah. I mean, the, most of it is just like watching their mm-hmm. like natural routine. And I think so much of that is like so perfectly. And I mean, like I like that he chose non actors for it and that like a lot of the dialogue was like improvised because yeah. it's like it's feels very much. I mean, that's why sometimes for me, like because of how like regular of a day it is, sometimes it feel it felt a little slow, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so believable. Watching Jerry and watching this movie, I feel like kind of helped me. It kind of like unlocked my mind to where I was really ready to accept this movie on an aesthetic level. Cause I really just, I just could find myself watching these Steadicam uh, shots just for hours. That's just something I'm very interested in. Just them walking through the hallways. Yeah. So once we get to school, that is the aesthetic mode that this film is operating in. It is all these long take, uh, slow moving, steady cam shots that are following characters generally from behind. Uh, some of them have long intros that are still takes. For example, like early on, we see a nice football practice, not a football practice, uh, kind of like a football pickup game, some kids playing and the camera's still, and you kind of see for the football heads out there, you see the line of scrimmage <laughs> move slowly over the course of the game. And then you get another character come into the more right in the foreground. And then you follow them. That's when the steady cam track like starts and these takes go for, you know, minutes on end. Mm-hmm. And this football scene in particular, it was scored to some you know, classical piano score. Yeah. It's really fantastic. I don't yeah. know. First gymno, gymno v, I don't, yeah, I don't know the name. Oh, of the the piano. It's like a pretty famous. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's exactly. one of them famous ones. You've heard ones. it in a lot of different movies. Yeah, but I am not a smart classical guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm a classic man myself. I have to say. <laughs> So, yeah, well, the first shot of the movie, though, before we get to school is after the opening credits is you get this like high angle crane shot of the car being driven by uh, driven by John's dad, who's like drunk driving him to school in the morning. And it's like a great introduction to this like autumnal color palette that we're going to stay with for pretty much the whole film. And even the interiors, especially at these kids houses, really match the green yellow brown and orange that you see in portland and van sant if i recall correctly is from portland and he if he's not he fucking knows how to shoot that environment (laughs) really well like it feels like he's very at home in this environment isn't i i'm pretty certain the high school he shot at um was like from his hometown or it was relatively near where he grew up so i think that's that would be cool if true yeah, <laughs> we're uh, most of this is just speculation. Someone now, fact check. Yeah, <laughs> extended clip. The number one film news <laughs> film facts, news tidbits. We're gonna get four Pinocchios by the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we get these steady cam shots through mm. the school, you know, and you're slowly making your way through the day. But the film is edited in this non-linear fashion mm-hmm. where. You'll get up to a certain point, maybe like the first couple classes go by, and then you cut to another character and it resets. Mm -hmm. 
you'll hear a line of dialogue that you heard in the previous scene, but this time it's in the background. And that's the start of this scene, and you're following a different character now. And Van Sant leaves these like maybe five, ten second overlaps where you see these repeated scenes from different angles here and there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the scenes where um, the storylines uh, overlap are they're also just it's really satisfying in a sense too. Just oh, to, for sure, yeah. it's like narrative payoff, like box checking, totally mm-hmm. works for my brain. Yeah, yeah. and uh, something that we haven't even gotten into is the sound design in this movie is insane and i'm not oh, yeah. i'm not you know i'm not a sound hound necessarily i'm not <laughs> a guy who's always attuned to like oh that was good sound design or not yeah. but this is like an obvious masterwork in my regard especially how you know you fall like there's these steady cam shots of these students but it almost kind of feels like you're walking behind them yeah. in a sense and the sound design reflects that of kind of like walking alone in the school and just kind of uh soaking in just like the general dialogue around you but not really you know, attuned to a single conversation. It's really, it's really powerful. And then, you know, I went to school afterwards and, you know, I was like, damn, I'm an elephant basically. <laughs> <laughs> Something that all of yeah. our student <laughs> listeners out there should be thinking every time they go to class. <laughs> hey, this is our back to school episode. Yeah. <laughs> and if you are a sound hound, make sure to donate at the $10 a month level and I will upload the podcast in flack for just you, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the sound design is really great in this. I definitely was bumping this one on my speakers, uh, very just like obnoxiously. Uh, Bass boosted. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to get all the details. There's so many little overlapping p- bits and pieces that are you know shifting from the left side of your speaker to the right side of your speaker. You know, I didn't. I don't have this in 5.1 Dolby surround. Mm-hmm. I just have a basic stereo setup. But even then, it's so impressive and still not to a distracting level. Still yeah. to a point where it's just helping with your immersion. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, to go into that, like, level of immersion with the environment, I feel like so little of the film is, like, spelled out to you. Yeah. And, like, a lot of, like, what you're picking up is, like, in, like, the 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 frame itself are just little details about the characters. Like, that, it's such a specific, like, mise-en-scene that it paints, like, all you need to know without, like, really saying it. Yeah, and the specificity of the mise-en-scene is great because it feels like you're going into this lull, this repetitive lull, and that makes the little differences stand out yeah. that much more. You know, There's a couple times where, I mean, this isn't really a little difference. It's pretty showy when it'll hit the slow-mo for like three or four <laughs> seconds. The first time we see this is when a dog is running up on John, the first, like, the really, like, bleach blonde kid that we follow who looks like probably a freshman in high school. He's, like, the youngest looking one. Mm-hmm. And that dog just does a nice little jump. And it's a perfect little grace note because it's right before you see the shooters approaching campus with their guns loaded and their bags over the shoulder. And then you cut to, you know, back an hour or so. And the there's, like, a definite, you know, visual motif it goes back to, obviously. And then when it, breaks that you know like there's a scene where i forgot her name but she's kind of like the lonely girl doesn't want to shower mm-hmm. um been following her in like gym class and then she escapes to uh, an empty basketball court and then it goes super wide wider oh, than yeah. you know it ever goes back in that movie and it's just it's just uh those parts are just really even more so impressive the way they're kind of weaved in yeah when we see the gay straight alliance meeting Uh, that is the first time that we completely break the formal pattern of the film. And we are then in the center of like a circle and we're just turning left to right slowly. 
uh, as we watch all these kids talk and really just listen. You only see the person who's talking for about 30 seconds of this two minute scene. The rest of it, you're just watching these kids listen to each other. And it's really great. And it's just, it's kind of this note of Van Sant. Like y- you see this kind of sentimentality that he has in films like Goodwill Hunting or more recently, Don't Worry, Ho- He Won't Get Far on Foot. And when you've already seen the movie and you know that the you know sexual experimentation is to come later and you see that there was the GSA at the school and like there was this outlet for these questioning kids to talk about stuff mm-hmm. with and they didn't take it up you know it kind of strikes a really sentimental tone but like within the context of this movie i think it's kind of passable still like it didn't really stick out that much like mm-hmm. for me uh it gus really snuck it in naturally there for me <laughs> yeah because like even even at that meeting like the sound design still kind of distances you from yeah. like you could still hear what's going on but you're not really it doesn't feel like you're actively listening if that makes sense so michelle is the uh character you were talking about who didn't want to shower mm-hmm. and yeah she has kind of a gym clothes gate uh situation a big scan not you know but we've all been there we like yeah. that feel that's something that fucking happens in uh, boys and girls gym class like you have a kid who doesn't want to change and they probably have a fucking perfectly good reason why they don't want to change into gym clothes yeah i i have seen that play out many a times it's yeah. not it's it goes just as well as it does in the film yeah it well not, well, not really not, that, not like <laughs> there haven't been shootings pretty nasty fate <laughs> there, there haven't been she is the that, first that, one shot that's <laughs> happened to every person i'm just saying like please wear your gym clothes <laughs> <laughs> so after we see all these people's days as they're going so far uh, we see Michelle, we see Eli, the photographer who we meet early on. He takes a picture of a nice goth couple, uh, or probably more like gut, Portland gutter punk couple, True, yeah. uh, who look like they just like are tweaking off meth and are letting <laughs> him take pictures of them. Uh, and that's a pretty fun way to start the movie. And so you see him for a little in the dark room. You see our main guy, John, trying to make plans for the weekend. But- Do you want to concert today? No, I can't. My parents are being bitches this week. Yeah. All right, I'll see you. Yeah, John's like trying to leave the keys for his brother to pick up his drunk ass dad, and like the three girls. Uh, what is it? Jordan, Brittany, and something else. Nicole. Nicole. Yeah, they have their little, uh, you know, little fight about boyfriend time versus friend yeah. time. All about the chilling you were talking about. Like, it really is all about chill time, <laughs> yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, like these yeah. kids, like they're. It is kind of sad that like the last thing that these kids really are caring about is when they're going to get to chill with their friends. That's true. Because that's all I fucking cared about in high school and in college when Mm -hmm. I had like still my high school friends, but like, uh, I just wanted to know when I was going to get to chill. And like, that's the last thing these kids had to worry about, which sucks. But you know, I don't know. I think Vance sees like the kind of, uh, innocent beauty in that yeah their their brains aren't fully destructed yet you know yeah and like there's also like a little bit like you get some of like a critique of like the way like uh like american schooling is like especially through like the character of john like showing up like how like his uh difficult situation really isn't accounted for and you get such layered experiences uh, that all feel authentic. So, I mean, after we meet all these kids and see them for the first like three hours of their school day, 
Then we go back and we see, we go a little further back for the shooters. We see them order the guns online uh, very easily at usaguns.com, mm-hmm. uh, where every gun was in the category of AK-47, whether it was like a shotgun <laughs> or a pistol, yeah. uh, which I, I thought was pretty fun. And you see them play some first-person shooters. You see them watch which, a Hitler doc. <laughs> the first-person shooter has the style of the movie, which I think is like... Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. well, no, that's not how the sh- shootings really are shot, though. It's the no, one... Yeah. There's one take that's like that. Yeah, true. Yeah. With their planning, and they cut to him just saying, like, oh, and I'll pick these people off. There's, like, that's five true. seconds where it looks just like the first-person shooter did. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously raising the question, is this to blame? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is clearly no. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Get vi- do video games cause violence? I think I, podcasting <laughs> does. Yeah, actually, podcasts are violence. So, look, we do a lot of irony here, and I just want to say we are very, like, you know, pro-Second Amendment. <laughs> <laughs> My friend, my friend has a gun. It's really cool. He just wears it around the house, and I respect <laughs> that. No, obviously, this is an anti-gun movie. Uh, if guns weren't legal, these kids could not buy them from the internet that yeah. easily. Uh, yeah, it's fucking terrible. There should be no guns at all, ever. There should never have been invented guns. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to delete them. I'm going to get my house and delete all the guns. That's see, that's a something that they don't talk about in politics, and it's kind of the steps we need to take. Yeah, it's true. Andrew Yang's talking about it. Actually. <laughs> I heard he was talking about it on Joe Rogan. Yeah, it's like if you go to like hour four minute thirty eight in his Joe Rogan interview, you can hear him talking about actually like how. I've actually been working on this policy where we get hackers to hack guns and delete them straight out of the stratosphere. It's really impressive. It's uh. <laughs> We see them do the planning and then the planning scene itself is kind of like a, you know, a classic heist thing where they're talking through their plan Mm -hmm. and then it cuts to them enacting the plan and back Mm -hmm. and forth. But then you actually see them do, but it's pretty funny. And he tells them to, we have enough explosives to last us almost a day. Most importantly, have fun, man. Yeah, man. And then after they finish, it's like, how many do you get? Like, it's very, it's treated very lightly. Well, in, it's not definitely gamified. It's yeah. gamified. I, yeah, I guess I don't know how lightly the movie treats it, but the characters treat it. Lightly. I mean, that feels yeah. like the like attitude of like the Columbine, like particularly yeah, exactly. though the yeah. those shooters like attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's presented aesthetically the same as just walking around the halls was. It's a little more for you get a few more forty five degree angle shots, like not directly the back of their heads, mm-hmm. but you do get a lot of just the back of their heads as they're walking through the school, mowing people down. And I feel like also, I mean, maybe it's because the some of the imagery is so striking but it's just like the fires that are happening at like lockers mm-hmm. and just like the smoke oh my God. that just yeah. feels like it's it's like surreal and, yeah. and yeah. how it's unsettling yeah it's like the end of fucking barton fink where the hallway's burning down yeah and yeah it's running through yeah uh that's what it feels like towards the very end when it's like uh mm-hmm. when it cuts to the last character intro we get actually is benny which, look, Elephant in the Room, speaking of the title, he's the only non-white character. Yeah. Uh, other than the the teacher that was leading the GSA is also black. But then he dies pretty early on. And then so we have Benny who tries to sneak up on one of the shooters and, like, disarm him. And, man, the build-up to that is great, you know? Mm-hmm. I read a critique of this that said that the long takes are a cheap suspense mechanic. And I don't buy that at all. No. The Benny attempted thwarting of the shooter is like the only time where I think it's using it as a suspense mechanic. 
And that is like one of the longest takes with no action and no dialogue in the whole movie. So I think he earned it if he wants to use it as a suspense mechanic in that scene. Yeah, and I think there's a around that time he's kind of mouthing off to the teacher, or after he kills Benny, he says something to the teacher's like, "There's others like me, and like if you don't treat me right, like they're gonna get you too." And I think that kind of speaks to what you're kind of talking about of like this kind of non-heavy but still like a presence of critique of like how the school system works. Or yeah. Something. Well, I hate to say it, but I'm giving this one five bullets. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't rated it yet online, so this is this is a live looking process. Um, I have to give it four and a half bullets. This is an instant classic, and uh, I just want to watch all of his stuff from this era. It's really sparked something in me. Yeah, to be clear, I I am upping my initial four bullet rating to a five. Uh, four was when I watched it a few years ago. Yeah, I'm upping my three bullet rating uh, to to four, <laughs> and I think it's really appropriate. Yeah, I think that we do like an ironic gun violence podcast, yeah. uh, and uh, that we're talking about you know uh, real gun. Well, we're talking about fake gun violence, but in a in a time. Yeah, this it's is bad. I don't know where I'm going. With it's that. all <laughs> it's all art, baby. It's all it's all just pure art. Nice. Well, we'll be back with uh, an equally relevant film to the news, uh, an equally harrowing depiction of violence, the extremely racist love guru. That's why I'm like really confused that you would say something like that. Seriously, I mean, why? Why do you think I'm so bad here? Welcome back to Extended Clip. You guys have a nice break. Yeah, I got some water. Cool. No, you didn't. You yeah, were. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. did I got some water. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, I got some water. <laughs> Are you are you gaslighting me? <laughs> I don't know what that word means, but I got when we had a break, I went to go get a cup of water to sip on. I don't believe you. All right. <laughs> you guys see anything else this week? I saw uh, Angel Has Fallen, the latest entry into the Gerard Butler verse. And while watching this, I kind of realized, even though, you know, Den of Thieves was a huge success with a lot of people, including me, I was a huge fan. But this is kind of like towards the end of Gerard Butler's probably glory days where he gets to star in action movies like this. I don't, or, you know, he's probably going to be kind of like more of the fat detective cop character. He's not a detective cop <laughs> character in uh den of thieves from now on. He's not going to be as glamorous and it's, it's probably all the better because this movie is really, it's really boring. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's not like, it's not even like I've heard the other has fallen entries are even more reactionary, which would, be like i would welcome it with open arms because this movie has no personality yeah um one 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 thing i did like about it though nick nolte does show up shows up as a a bearded recluse as gerard butler's dad and there's uh a ridiculous there's two ridiculous scenes in particular that uh are not worth the price of admission but once this movie gets uploaded to youtube i'll probably watch those scenes on youtube (laughs) there's there's one including an isolation floating tank which is a big i've always wanted to try that i'm really interested in isolation floating tanks 
But yeah, the movie sucked. Like depri- sensory deprivation. Yeah. 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 Oh, we should show pod one. Yeah, oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only we thing become, we, yeah. That's how we become podcast superstars is we <laughs> do some sensory deprivation podcasting. Uh, uh, yeah. We need to get into like Rogan techniques, like start eating like veal and like, yeah, do shit like that. Have like re- right wing people like on the sure. the new right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gavin smoke McGinnis. weed. Yeah. Smoke weed. Ask, ask <laughs> Gavin McGinnis if he's ever tried weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I think the most, uh, the big news is that I've been pounding through a lot of Joel McRae mm. um, because they had uh, a little special uh, of his work on TCM. And I watched a lot of Westerns, uh, Ride the High Country, Stars in My Crown, Colorado Territory. But one that I thought was really interesting um, that I saw was like a comedy by George Stevens, 1943, The More the Merrier. And I was really curious about it because aside from Joel McRae, uh, there's Charles Coburn was in it, who I was ready to really love um, because he is the... Like, you'd recognize his face if you saw him. He's like a monocle old guy, like a little heft to him. Mm-hmm. He's in the lady Eve. Um, he's like her, like the, the man she's in like cahoots with. Oh, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. recently saw that by the way. Great movie. Great yeah. Movie. Yeah. Um, but Charles Coburn, I was so ready to like, because he's like a, he's, he's the classic, like rich old man. But then I found out he was like the head of like a KKK chapter. And Damn. I was like, I was less excited, but he did win an Oscar for the more, the merrier. Um, and his performance in this is really good. It's like a comedy where, uh, Charles Coburn goes to live with this woman during world war two. And there's like a housing shortage and like, he winds up like not needing the room, uh, anymore. And he's, he like swaps it with Joel McRae and then they sort of, uh, Joel McRae and Gene Arthur like fall in love. And it was like a, a really, uh, well put together comedy, a lot of good set pieces and, uh, uh, Charles Coburn's name is Mr. Dingle. <laughs> Mr. D- wow, that is fantastic. That is yeah. that sounds worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, meeting yeah. a character named Mr. Dingle. <laughs> Speaking of funny character names, wait till you uh, hear some of the guys that are in the movie you just watched. Uh, <laughs> so before we get to that, yeah, what about yourself? Oh, Open boy. up. What flicks have you seen? Thank you so much for asking, JT. <laughs> God, I've been working with you guys for twelve months. <laughs> First time with you guys. Asked a damn question. <laughs> We're not very, uh, we, we're not, we don't pick up on social cues as well. <laughs> I watched a few films this week. A couple of, you know, hazy rewatches to certain extents. Uh, Gone Girl, a film that I remembered maybe 20 minutes of. I watched it about four years ago. Bought the Blu-ray at some point. I don't remember buying it, but I have it. So I threw it on last night. I was a little tired, you know. And uh, it's really it really works in that kind of sleepy mode. I got to say, I was like 10% asleep when I started the movie, and it didn't wake me up that much, but I was fully into it the whole time. It really has this relaxed tone to it where everything is kind of a step back, and, you know, Fincher's always so precise formally, and it kind of takes you out of the, you know, immersion of the film because he's so technically precise. But I think it really works for this because... It's so much, as others have said about this film, about like presentations and about how people project themselves and how the media, you know, alters that. And I think this film really works for that because it's so about its own presentation. 
and Fincher is so self-aware he himself is like a character he's the third character to Nick and Amy you know and speaking of Nick man has a character ever been so ripe for an actor as Nick Dunn to Ben Affleck I mean just I've said bozo mode on this podcast <laughs> many times, but I don't think any film representation of, of bozo mode has ever <laughs> quite been pulled off like Ben Affleck and Gone Girl, you know, from him smiling uh, with random ladies who take pictures with him when his wife is <laughs> missing and <presumed laughs> dead or, you know, when she comes back and he just like pretends to kiss her and calls her a cunt. Uh, it's really just one of the great Affleck, well, not just one of the great Affleck performances, one of the great performances and the peak of Affleck. And I also watched a really funny uh, Family Guy. (laughs) 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 Oh, me too. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We all love Family Guy. I watched a Family Guy about all tourism uh, and it was pretty bad in the general sense, but for Family Guy, it was really good. And, you know, it, uh, it made fun of Wes Anderson. Speaking of Wes Anderson, he once made a disrespectful uh piece of shit that totally lambasted indian culture called the darjeeling limited and uh that kind of sounds like the film that we're about to talk about right now 2008's the love guru another film filled with unchecked uh, not self-aware at all white privilege just mocking indian culture and uh because it's the art of cinema you get away with it you know what I was thinking while watching this movie? It's very obvious for this type of movie to kind of evoke kind of like, aren't there movies where Jerry Lewis plays like a Chinese guy or whatever? Yeah, but he's allowed to. He's like Jerry <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to cancel Jerry Lewis here. I'm just saying this is kind of like the last con- like race comedy that I could remember being released to the American public. Yeah. Meet the Blacks was like two years ago. Well, is what's what's Meet the Blacks? What's goes on in Meet the where What do you fucking think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I meant I meant more specifically like a white guy lampooning yeah. like putting on well, some makeup and lampooning a different culture. Yeah, this and Zohan came out back oh. to back. And these are both like the last shreds of the that era of the funny man comedy. Yeah. You, know, you had Sandler, he had all his movies, Mike Myers had a few movies, Jim Carrey had his movies. And then in 2008, we're at this point where it's like, what else can we do? Like, mm-hmm. We've already done our stock characters, so let's just do some broad ethnic stereotypes. Yeah. And Zohan is much funnier than The Love Guru. That's all I'll say. I'd have to him. take another look at Zohan, directed by a podcast favorite, Dennis Dugan. <laughs> yeah. I can't completely yeah. trash yeah. it. Problem uh, like, child director, Yeah, Dennis problem Dugan. child and big daddy director, Dennis <laughs> Dugan. Uh, so The Love Guru, what is it? It's, you know, <laughs> it's a lot. what isn't it? I mean, that's like part of like throughout the whole film. And I feel like a big comparison reference point and like for obvious reasons is Austin Powers, a film trilogy that I have much respect and admiration for respect. Um, Yeah. uh, Austin Powers is a film series that I respect and admire and was a pivotal uh, like uh, pivotal in my early cinephilia. Um, and I feel like this just doesn't have the charm or like care. None of the characters care about no. anything and are like detached. There's none of that like likability in doing like a kind of like stupid brainless comedy like this. Yeah. And the thing is like Austin Powers is rooted in James Bond and like the spy tradition. The love guru is literally just like aren't Indian people just like fucking what, like crazy. Yeah. Like, that's like the whole premise. The comedic premise of it is what if a white guy like a normal one like us went to India and he was like a guru, you know? Yeah. And 
the the biggest thing it has to having like a well, I guess there's the husband and wife conflict that the guru is trying to solve, but the most like perplexing to me was kind of the constant co- comparison to Deepak Chopra, and he's like, oh, I want to be the next Deepak Chopra, and he shows up at the end of the movie. But I was just thinking, it's just like. There's a lot of name drops for Deepak Chopra. I wonder how he feels about all this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, why do you hey. think Kanye uh, referenced Deepak Chopra on Yeezus? Uh, yeah. That's prob- that, like, we joke. That's probably the reason he references Deepak He's made Chopra. several Austin Powers references. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if the love guru was in his arsenal of references. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Kanye West appears at, towards the end of this film kind of recreating the George Bush doesn't care about black people yeah. though, but uh, it's yeah. Kanye and Mike Myers sharing the screen for the first time since that incident you know not nearly as interesting this time around <laughs> what does Kanye say I love, love hockey yeah I love hockey hey can't blame him this <laughs> film has a great understanding of hockey by the way yeah. we'll get to it so uh, <laughs> well I mean I feel like a one thing early thing that i thought like er- early on in the film i wasn't sure like kind of how it, just exactly how terrible it would be and i feel like when they spell out like they make it pretty clear that it's just like oh like you the the fixing this marriage is just a very hollow goal that he needs to like that's like this is just what the plot of the film is going to be like come get over it that's what we're doing mm-hmm. um because they like spell it out to him and he does like a direct to camera address yeah um saying that that's his goal for the film yeah he is an american-born indian citizen who is a guru who helps people do you know self-help self-realization type stuff uh real you know 2000s huckster self-care culture and he you know uses eastern mysticism to kind of like sell himself being a white guy who's just like exploiting indian culture and so he gets hired by the toronto maple leafs to uh (laughs) get their star player back into action because the stanley cup's coming up and uh he's distracted because his wife uh, well, he's been cuckolded by another uh, NHL player, a goalie played by Justin Timberlake, has taken his wife away from him. Yeah, and the worst part is he has a huge cock. cock. Yeah, and Timberlake sucks on this movie. Yeah. I wish he was good. I wanted so him to bad. be so... I don't know if he has much to work with, but... Usually, like, or sorry, usually I'm there all 100% there that a, a character's only personality trait is just having a big hog. Yeah. But so poorly handled yeah you just like you take such easy like e- easy free scraps that you and ruin it mm-hmm. and yeah that's a lot of the jokes are like easiest free scraps you could come up with like the most you know juvenile of the juvenile which i i sometimes i like but just it really sours me over time watching this yeah and so when we're introduced to the hockey player we also meet Vern troyer who's the coach mm-hmm. uh you know Got to get Vern Troyer in there. He made those Austin Powers movies. Got to stick with your buddies, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, returning to the podcast uh, ever since Postal. Yeah, yeah. Postal. Returning champion, Vern which, Troyer. Yeah. Which I will say, uh, Uwe Ball, tr- you know, gives Vern Troyer a little bit more agency than I would say he gets here where... I think he gets <laughs> tossed in both movies. All right. Yes. But I feel like every single time Vern Troyer is on screen... In this movie, it's a short joke. And, there, you know, there's... It's true. And I feel like that's not the case in Postal, even though I'd say maybe a majority of shots he's getting mocked in, yeah. in Postal. There's still some where he's not. And the first, like, 20 minutes of this movie before 
he meets up with before uh, the love guru that is meets up with well the owner of the team is Jessica Alba and before he meets her and becomes sexually interested you get like the on screen duo of Jessica Alba and Vern Troyer <laughs> like over the first 20 minutes you we see them like four times and it's such a just void of chemistry just absolute nothing there one of the most some of the most unwatchable stuff i mean no disrespect to Jessica Alba no she Not sucks in this actor. she yeah. sucks in this <laughs> and she's like one of the like cuz like didn't like Megan Fox kind of got like somewhat reclaimed by the culture you know she was like a hot girl but people yeah. look back she made Jennifer's body people kind of look back at her more favorably Jessica Alba does not get that treatment, and maybe for a reason. Well, she didn't work with any auteurs. That's true. Well, you know who? Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a Mike Myers joint for sure. It does have a similar house style to Austin Powers. Both films, uh, or not both films, the first and third Austin Powers movie and this film are all shot by Peter Deming, a regular cinematographer of David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is like a pristine look to it. Yeah. And the Love Guru, you know, look, if you load up a nice, you know, a nice big 1080 file of it, there are some shots that look low-key fucking beautiful. Yeah. But the jokes that are being said during these shots are so ridiculous and so stupid and mind-numbingly dumb and go on for so long and... You know, even when that's the joke, the length of it, it's still not funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, a lot of the jokes are like, this is so bad and so stupid that it's funny. And it's just like, nah, this is just bad and stupid. Oh, yeah. one of the worst fucking jokes that I definitely want to uh, talk about is there's like in the like flashbacks that we get to Guru Pitka's like uh, guru training is like uh, there when he's like, he has like drama tattooed on his hands yeah. and uh, he's going through the D and that's distraction. And yeah. then we have this flashback to their playing a game called stink mop. <laughs> oh uh, my God. I, I the, like, honestly, you got to break down the rules of stink mop to me. I, I had no idea. What's it's going just, on. I mean, none of it. It's also like flimsily constructed True. and not even like in a way that's like aware of it. But like, if only the jokes were good, I feel like, that's that's only when this style works but it just sucks so hard it's i think the guru the the lead guru just like pissed in a bucket and then they both um it's like two students are in like a ring and sort of like uh like combat with mops to try and soak the other one with piss piss. yeah yeah i feel mike myers is just so satisfied with himself at this point that he just thinks i could just kind of take it easy and people are going to eat this shit up and Mm -hmm. uh they've gained enough of my trust from the wayne's world duology and the austin (laughs) powers trilogy and there's even a point where in the car he changes the radio and bohemian rhapsody is on and he looks right down the barrel into camera and you're just like, what the fuck, man? Like, I'm not even wh- thinking about that. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> thinking about Wayne's World right now. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> there's, yeah, it's, come on, stay humble, Mike. <laughs> um, but I, uh, there's one point where they're literally doing like the same like joke structure thing as like Austin Powers. They like do, um, fuck, it's it's some like you know in the third. Austin Powers, the gold member, the mole joke. Yeah. There's some iteration of that. I think it might be with Vern Troyer and just yeah. that he's short. You know, that cracked me up as a fucking 12 year old when I watched yep. this movie. Uh, actually, you know what? It didn't. I remember this being <laughs> one of the few movies that like in middle school when I saw it, a raunchy comedy, I left saying, yeah, that sucked. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And 
things have not changed. I wanted Boom. to reclaim this, but I really cannot do it. We all really wanted to say this movie was good. <laughs> just, I mean, just, it would have been the best take yeah. we could have had. It but. starts with a pretty bad opening bit where he's talking to camera, but then the opening titles are over a musical number of yeah. nine to five. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's doing an accent that's pretty racist, but he is... They are putting a lot into the choreography yeah. and the camera work and the set design of these musical numbers, which there are only, you know, three of or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but those parts convince you that, like, there's enough effort in this movie to be good. And then you realize that must have been all that they put effort into. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of these musical scenes for some reason. Just maybe just because of how bad the rest of the movie is in contrast. It yeah, feels I like mean, there's life in the these scenes. The movie ends at about an hour and 19 minutes. And then you get like a six minute like Steve Miller band the Joker rendition. Uh, it's God, so that, good. It, it makes you so happy that, that the movie is finally over and you're just rejoicing uh, in, you know, I'm a joker, I'm a smoker. That I'm was Joker. honestly yeah. one of the worst things <laughs> oh, I've ever what? seen. I hated I that, that so much. The Mike Myers tradition started in Shrek, you know, to, to end your movie with just an absolute banger of a musical sequence. Uh, 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 uh. But a lot of good music at the end of Mike Myers movies. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. It's good. My personal. F- <laughs> <laughs> but that scene is good. I don't know. Yeah, my personal favorite is the one we haven't mentioned is the More Than Words musical sequence. Oh, yeah. Which oh. is just. <laughs> It's so serious. It's just so serious, and like, but it has like a nice, chill, laid back vibe to it. Like, you really just like two guys jamming out and like kind of creating like. It's almost like they created the song on site. Like it's just so natural. Yeah, while doing accents too. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the like figuring out like what's even supposed to be funny about that scene i guess it's just him saying more than birds or whatever yeah, but it, does, it says more than birds but yeah. it's like it does like that doesn't even register to me it just seems yeah, like so they're singing in terms of what one of the big jokes is speaking of that is just like everyone's name is dirty like in austin powers you know but it's really i feel like it really leans into the indian names like they really yeah. make a point to introduce every brown person that comes on screen and give them a name like you know Heron McKeister is one yeah. of, you know I actually I think that's the town that he's in is called Heron McKeister and mm-hmm. like there's all these just like so, something about his dick smelling bad or like pee pee poo poo you know like yeah. it's just yeah. come on like I get that it's an easy cheap joke to make mm-hmm. uh, and also you know Someone might come in and correct me, say, "Oh, actually, oh, oh, oh you know, actually, uh, the uh, the white people have funny names too. Uh, uh, Dick Pants, and uh, uh, you know, Vern Sawyer's name is like Jack Off or something. Uh, who fucking cares? Like, equal opportunity racism is still, you know, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. Equal opportunity, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure the Love Guru fans there are yeah. fuming listening to <laughs> yeah. this. Also, it's it like, might yeah, settle down. It's now. not. It's not like even equal opportunity. There's like yeah. there's like ten Indian names to american names yeah it's true oh guilty Uh, (laughs) this movie is fucking guilty something just as bad as the racism in the film is that this film presents itself as like a horny movie yeah because Mm. it's the love guru but there's so little fucking in it it's like horny in the like a like you're 14 and just jacking off every day but you don't know what fucking is there no i don't think 
does he doesn't fuck in this film. No, no. he does not. Well, he's, he's belted up. That's kind of the excuse. But yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. Set free at the end, and it's implied that they fuck. But like, I guess that's like you know the music of the Steve Miller band maybe symbolizes the <laughs> sex. <laughs> <laughs> but like the Austin, like Austin Powers had some fun with like some weird like shitty oh, sex for scenes. Sh- mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure, so, super excited. <laughs> You just remember those scenes. Yeah, just at, throw in like a little oh! ding, a, a ding of your cock hanging yeah. chastity belt. Yeah. Thinking of Heather Graham in the second uh, Austin Powers movie. All right, what what did, was there anything where in this movie where you guys was like that was funny? No. Um. Sometimes um, Colbert as the sportscaster, like he would have a good line, yeah, and then it would immediately follow up with like four more lines on top of it that all sucked and made you forget how good the first one was. I agree. I feel like I laughed kind of when they first said Jacques Lecoq something. I was like, <laughs> but like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, damn, that's um, pretty immature of you. Hey, the, hey, I am what I am. There are like things that in a vacuum should be funny that stand out to me. Like the two elephants fucking and Mike Myers on top of it. Mm-hmm. Like that idea as, as a notion, that's funny. Mm-hmm. But when you see it, it's so... It, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> really is disappointing. And yeah. this kind of like the bleakness of like the Toronto maple leaves like hockey arena yeah, you know setting what? is like it sucks. We're not going to fucking explain how it happens. Game seven... Stanley Cup, this movie has two elephants fucking on the ice during like a penalty shootout in the last second of a tie game. It really understands the rules of hockey. There's a point where he like scoops it up, scoops up the puck, just like throws it in the air and skates by everyone who's just stupidly looking up at the puck and drooling. <laughs> Genius sports movie, obviously. <laughs> uh, yeah, he fucking wins the Stanley Cup and he gets the girl and his client gets the girl and everyone's fucking happy at the end. It sucks. This is like the worst, maybe the worst movie we've covered on the podcast. I think so. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. I gave it one and a half bullets on Letterboxd. I think I'm just bonking it down to one flat. Hell yeah. I'm giving it one straight to the dome. Suicide <laughs> style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to. <laughs> I wish I could give this movie five bullets. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to have to suicide this one again. I did one and a half at first, but it's one. Let's take care of business. Yeah. Mike Myers, retire, bitch. <laughs> I think he did. Well, no, he's he's working with Brian Singer, making Bohemian Rhapsody too. Check the flight <laughs> logs. <laughs> Mike Myers directed a movie recently, I think. It was a documentary, I want to say. Maybe I'm just pull- another thing I'm pulling out of my ass, but um Speaking of pulling things out of our ass, let me pull up the email. Uh, uh, you he did make a documentary. Get in touch with us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. We have an email today. <laughs> It's from Ryan Kelly 2014 at gmail.com. Subject, question for the Clippers. Hey guys, what's up? Seen any cool movies lately? <laughs> yeah, how about you fucking listen to the last <laughs> hour? God. Uh, we're on Twitter at ExtendedClip69. Uh, I'm at iPod underscore video. I'm at BitchFacePalace. I'm uh, Malcolm. <laughs> I'm JT. Uh, I'm Eddie. I'm at uh, Tall Boy Thin Legs. And I'm also at Drill. I'm also <laughs> at, uh, I can't think of any other good accounts. Everyone sucks at Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, good night. The Love Guru. Hey, folks. It's Eddie. Uh, just with a little uh, issues and corrections. Uh, we uh, 
we have a bit of a fight, but um, you know, it's all clear up now. I just um, Val Val Kilmer is in the love guru, and it's it's very important that it's on the podcast. And uh, do, you, do you guys have anything to say for yourselves? No. Um, it's good to see Val. Bye. <laughs>